Hey, hello everyone and welcome to episode two of Wrestling with Tomorrow, the podcast. I am your host, Mike Kinney, and I just want to say thank you very much for joining me on this journey as we talk to guests and find out uh, how they manage through change, how they uh, overcome some hurdles in their lives, how they live their dreams, and all of a sudden one day that dream ends and they have to pivot and find out what the rest of their lives looks like. That's that is my mission on this podcast is to talk to these amazing people. And I've been fortunate enough to have several of these amazing people in my life. And I have talked to a number of them and they've all agreed to be on this podcast at some point down the road. And I cannot wait to share those stories with you. I have a very special guest today. And if you've, if you've seen my posts online, you already know what's coming and I'll get to, uh, I'll get to Charlie Brenneman in just a second. But before I do, I want to talk about a couple of other things that have been going on. I've not made this, um, I've not told this publicly yet for the second time in 12 months, I was laid off for my job. Um, I, I was just laid off 15 days ago. Um, just a little over two weeks and I've been in the process of looking for work. Um, you know, the, the market took a downturn and, and I've been trying to, um, figure out exactly what it is that, uh, that I'm going to be doing. So it's been an, it's been an interesting time in the Kinney household to say the least. And I've done this once before I got laid off a year ago and I rose from the ashes, so to speak, and found something really, really great. And I was happy to be working for them over the last year. And it's, um, it's just a bummer. It didn't work out based on, you know, the way the market is. And sometimes these things happen. Unfortunately, it happened to me again. So I'm in the, I'm on the hunt right now for a job. Yes. I've been interviewing. Yes. I've been doing all kinds of things to close that gap and, um, stress is as high as ever. One thing that I've been doing, um, that's been really helping me with this is the day that I got laid off. I started rehearsals for, a local production of the Adams family. And I will tell you that if you're anywhere within range of Stillwater, Minnesota, come mid to late, I think the play starts in mid July. Yeah. Just a couple of weeks. If you're anywhere near Stillwater, Minnesota, um, I would love for you to come and check this thing out there. All the information is on my social media. So if you just hop on Facebook or if you hop on Instagram, um, Instagram is a wrestler's guide, go on there, buy some tickets, come and see me. I am playing Uncle Fester, believe it or not. I'm going to shave my head and my beard. And um, my point to all this was is that the first day that I started rehearsals was the day I got laid off. Got laid off in the morning, started rehearsals in the evening, and I will say that it has been such a great outlet for me to, uh, to really have in my life to keep me, you know, just to keep my mind right and keep me moving in the right direction. My wife has been extremely supportive. I've talked to her about a couple of other ventures that I want to go down, and, and she's just on board. She's been nothing but great. Family, friends, all supportive. And I know some of you are listening, and it means the world to me that you've been by my side. And um, yeah, this too shall pass. But enough with that. Um, let's talk about a couple of plugs before we get into the interview. First of all, I completely revamped my website, a prowrestlersguide.com. Now, if you were in the market for a life coach, I have tons of free time right now, and I would love to be your life coach. I've got a couple of great clients right now who I'm working with, and they um, they have been extremely supportive in this venture as well. So 
thank you to my current clients jump on board future clients you can uh, i'll give you a free consultation all you got to do is go over to my website and find out if life coaching is for you and the other thing is that uh speaking so i'm i'm going down the road i'm going to take a bunch of speaking events coming up um, if you're interested in having me come to speak at your school or for your employer or anything like that please reach out let me know we can work out all kinds of different scenarios so i'm happy to speak where i can i've revamped some of my patreon information as well so patreon.com forward slash mike kinney it's got um, some really exclusive content i've done some exclusive videos i've got exclusive photos that you will not find anywhere else i do monthly updates in there um, any of my um, any of my coaching sessions that any of my clients allow me to share the videos are posted just on patreon so if you're looking for um, that those kinds of pieces or hey if you just want to support me that's great too um, it's two dollars and 99 cents a month to subscribe to my patreon page if you are um, if you are into wrestling t-shirts <laughs> and not just wrestling t-shirts but merchandise in general i've got a whole merchandise page there on my website as well really every every time somebody buys something i'm just floored by the support that i get i've been selling tons of t-shirts lately and it's um, i'll let you guys in on the secret i've got another t-shirt about to drop very very soon a, a, a mike kinney slash um, i don't want to call it a ted talks shirt because it's that's a, like a copyright infraction right but um, it's a Mike Kinney public speaking shirt and I'm, I've got this great artist who's designing it for me right now. Um, I can't wait to launch that. I'm, I'm actually going to launch it side by side with my book and that's right. My book is done. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, back from the editor, um, it went through two phases of editing, um, with a copy editor and a line editor, of course, and then. Um, came back and I'm working on some formatting. Um, Charlie Brenneman, who you're going to hear from in just a second, he's writing the forward in, for my book. And so that's going to be awesome. Right now in the process, I am working with an artist who is working on the cover for the book. And it will be launching on August, I want to say August 10th is the date. Um, and I am self-publishing it. So if you are in the business of supporting me, um, please go out. Uh, what I'm going to do is, um, when I launch it, it's going to be free. Well, the actual, the physical book will not be free. The Kindle version will be free for just a couple of days. And the idea is to get as many people to download that thing and leave me reviews on Amazon as possible. Um, just to get it out there and see if I can turn that thing into a bestseller. The book itself is, is a mixture of a memoir and, um, an extended version of my TED talk would be the best way to put it, but it is, um, something I'm very proud of. I've been working on for a very long time and I'm just so ready to get it in, into your hands so you can read it. Um, it's not going to be a long book. It's less than, if I remember right, it's right around hundred pages, maybe a little bit less than hundred pages, but, um, it's, it's very compact it tells it tells you a lot in a very short amount of time so if you're even listening to this thinking i'm not much of a reader well great then this book is just for you because it's not that long you can probably get it done in a day or two but uh really even if you download it and never read it i 
that will be amazing and that will count as one more sale. So yes, it will be free for a couple of days. Uh, the Kindle version, you do the ability to buy the paperback will be, uh, won't be for free, but, um, yeah, it's going to be up. August is vastly approaching and uh, I'm very excited for it. Okay. Now enough with the, with the chit chat here. I want to get you over to my interview with Charlie Brenneman. Um, we're going to talk a lot about who he is really Charlie and I met. It's, it's such a weird story. He saw my Ted talk. He reached out to me to be a guest on his show. I agreed, and we've just been friends ever since. And he was a former um, UFC fighter, um, ranked in the top 10 in the world at one point. And now he is doing motivational speaking. He's got a podcast. He's got books. Like, he's awesome. And I cannot wait for you to hear his story and hear how he really navigated through change as well. Also, you should know, I could not get my microphone to work for that interview. It was such a pain in the butt. So it, the audio where I am speaking is just a little kind of wonky. Um, just suck it up and drive on if you can. It's, we did the best we could with what we had at that time. We tried all kinds of things and I wasted so much of his time just trying to get my equipment right, but I don't even know what happened. So we, we've been recording these via Zoom, and I'm going to change that over to a different um, platform here. I'm going to try StreamYard. Not that you care about that whatsoever, but that's my really long way of telling you that the technology pieces will be improving. So no, wor no worries about the audio as we move forward. But anyway, he's got a mic. He sounds great. I'm just kind of on the computer, and so um, just bear with me through this. Anyway, so here you are. Here's my interview with Charlie Brenneman. All right, not without more technical difficulties, but we're going to keep plugging away at this. Let's. <laughs> Why don't you say what you just said, and then we'll kick it off. All right. Um, when you say what I just said, you want me to start all over again? Yeah, let's start okay, all, right. all over again. And so then with, don't edit this out. Okay. All right. With all of the technical difficulties that we've had here today, I want to welcome you to um, episode two of the Wrestling With Tomorrow podcast. I can't thank you enough. It's my pleasure. And when you said that the first time, little did we know that we would have more technical difficulties. That is true. And uh, I'm foreseeing possible more technical difficulties here nah in the we're good to go we're good to go <laughs> but it's uh it's great to be here i i appreciate talking we share a lot of stuff in life and it's always fun to talk and peel back the scenes yes i agree um for those of you that that don't know my guest today um charlie and i met a few years ago uh, i had just done my ted talk and charlie had reached out to me to um, ask if I wanted to be a guest on his podcast. And now we've, we've really come full circle. Right. Um, and I was a guest and we just, you and I had, we just have so much in common. We're pretty much the same age. I think you graduated in 99. I graduated in 2000 from high school. We um, have very similar paths to try to, to go very quickly up our own verticals and chase our dreams. And um, I sit back from afar now and I watch you on social media and things like that. And 
what you're out there doing, and we're going to cover quite a bit of this, but when I see you doing a lot of this outreach in these schools and, and just all of the, the stuff you're doing with kids is really inspiring to me. And I really admire the work you've been doing. So um, I have a pro wrestling background. Charlie has a, an MMA and UFC background. Um, and so that's, that's really how you and I began our relationship, right? It was really through you reaching out and we, we connected through your podcast. Yeah. And as will be the theme of the podcast wrestling with tomorrow and like things you can do or mindset you can take on figuring out your path, et cetera, et cetera. Reaching out to people cold has been like one of the biggest payoffs of my life in terms of meeting people, talking to people, experiences, whatever. And you know, when you wrestle or fight, you lose and you lose on stage and it helps never becomes easy, but you just swallow losing easier. And, uh, when you reach out to people, a lot of people don't respond. A lot of people, whatever, whatever, whatever. I saw a YouTube video or your, uh, you know, TEDx on YouTube or whatever it was, but Ted talk. And I was like, want to talk to that guy and, uh, just reach out and you respond. It's like, kind of like throwing mud at the wall and you, Mike, were a piece of mud that stuck. <laughs> hey, it have been called worse. It'd been called worse. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, there, people are brought into your lives in various times for various reasons. And it's just um, my interactions with you have always been extremely positive. When I lost my job last year and I reached out to you because, you know, really becoming this this public speaker, this motivational speaker is is the path I've always wanted to go down. And I, I don't know. And I'm still working on a couple of things with you on that. Um, but as I'm... It's, it's weird reaching out to people because especially coming from a pro wrestling world, you can't really ask other pro wrestlers for that kind of advice because everybody's fighting for the same spot. So it always, it's just, to me, it's still kind of like, um, I'm afraid to ask because yeah. I don't want somebody to say, Nope, you're not going to take my spot. That's my spot. Yeah. Um, regardless of geographically where we're located or anything like that. That's just, um, that's my hurdle to climb. But uh, Yeah. You know, there's plenty of examples, but one example, Dave Burke, who works with Jocko Willink, who's part of the Echelon Front team. He's a Top Gun pilot. I met him and uh, I met him because I kept reaching out to Jocko and, and didn't hear back. And one of their team was like, well, he's unavailable, but we can connect you with so-and-so and, and Dave. JP was the other guy and Dave. I was like, oh, right, great. And like in talking with Dave, becoming a friend of his, uh, I don't remember which instance it was. But I ended up going to his house, rolling jujitsu, interviewed him in person, became a friend, like went to barbecue at his friend's house. It's like really like, holy cow, this is like a real friend now. And I forget what it was, um, some sort of connection to something that might have been the BJJ camp in Maine or something that Echelon Front takes part in. And he's like, just ask me, like, worst I'm going to say is no. So just ask whatever you want to ask. And if I say no, I say no, that, that's as simple as it can be. And that is it. Like there's a lot of things you don't want to ask speaking, especially like the bottom line is you want to speak. I want to speak. I want to come into your school and share my story with your students. Is that something that can happen? Yes. No, maybe let's go rather than just feeling safe in the indecision realm. Right. I I'm, I'd much rather just ask and get it over with. There's a, uh, the book success principles by Jack Canfield. There's one of the success principles is SWSWSWSW. Some will, some won't. So what? Someone's waiting. And that's it. Just keep going. Ask, 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 ask. And then 
someone will bite, right? Or yeah. find something yeah. else to do. I love it. It's it's that um, that grit, that determination. It's it, it really speaks to a person's character as well, because I think it's um, there, there's a whole lot of fear to get over when it comes to the, that kind of outreach, and it's it's really really easy to just dismiss it and say they're going to say no. I'm not even going to bother with it. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste theirs. And again, uh, I admire that about you as well because you you've not been the type of person that's ever taken no for an answer. And I want to talk about all of those situations that have come up and what you've done to overcome those hurdles of your own. Um, but first let's talk about early life. Um, where'd you grow up? What, what things were, were you interested in? Tell me about who you were as a, as a student uh, K-12 or what did that look like yeah. for you? Yeah. Before I get to that, I want to go back to what you said there. It, it's not like I solved, I didn't solve a thing. I just came to grips with a thing and then, do it anyway. So for example, I've had a bunch of zoom calls here the last month, month and a half yesterday before my last zoom call, I was like shaking here. Cause I was like nervous and it, I'm in my office, which is in my basement. Nice setup, whatever, but I'm alone. Right. And you're cold outreaching and it's easy to bring on like this negative feeling like I'm alone. I'm here. I'm in my basement. Again, it's nice office, whatever, but I'm alone. Uh, so like this, like the world is coming down on you or looking inward. And I'm like, how, oh, what am I going to say? I've done this a hundred times. I know what I'm going to say. So I'm like, I literally got up and started doing like calisthenics over there to just like loosen my mind and my body up. So it's not like, I'm not like that. I, I, I just do it anyway. If you talk to my wife, she'll be like, Charlie's the most insecure person ever. Yeah. But I still do the thing. So it's a, a weird, some people aren't insecure at all, more power to them, but more often than not, it's acting with the insecurity. I think that's like the key to key really to anything. See, and that's a little peek behind the curtain because nobody would have ever guessed that you had any kind of insecurities unless you told them. Right. But that's, and that's yeah. something that you act that a person actively has to work on because that's first of all, self-diagnosing that is a really big deal. And second of all, being able to actively try to fix that is, is a really hard thing to do. So uh, I think that, you know, my hat's off to you be, to be able to, to do something like that. Cause not everybody can. No. And it, you know, getting knocked out on live television really, really like well, humbles you. There's that shakes the webs out, you know, shake the web out, whatever. <laughs> but that's also why it works so well with kids because kids see a fighter and they assume kind of rightfully so this guy should be really tough and like a freaking steel, uh, but I'm not, I'm the opposite of that. Yeah. And so that's why it it's like connects with kids because they're like, Oh wait, like I don't have to act like I'm the coolest kid here. Or if I am afraid I can talk to my teacher about it. Or if a kid does make fun of me, it's okay to like go home and cry on my mom's shoulder. Cause they feel like they have as a fighter, you said as a wrestler, but you know, like you don't want to walk around the back of whatever WWE, like your, your chest is puffed out. You're, you're the man. Right. Yeah. But really yeah. it's not like that. Right? right. Maybe someone is like that, but most people are like feeling the same way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah. And again, being humbled on stage, it makes you kind of become okay with that. Um, it being able to manage that perception though is, is such a big deal. And it's not even, 
you know, I think about that, not just from uh, an MMA or a pro wrestling vertical. I think about that even as I've, you know, over the course of my professional career in sales and marketing, um, I got told by one of my favorite people in the entire world, um, a mentor of mine, someone I worked for uh, years ago, uh, he told me I need to do a better job managing perception. And I, I got a little I got a little offended by that. I thought, well, what do, what do you mean, man? And he's like, well, right now you're getting offended that I'm telling you. And so my yeah. perception is, is that you're insecure. And, and yeah. so like, it was just like this aha moment where I had never heard anybody talk about managing perception before ever. And as I progressed through my sales career and started leading sales teams and things like that, I got to see it from that side of it where, oh, now I understand because my perception of this person based upon it's a behavior response is what it is that that perception piece so so um, does that mean managing how you perceive things being more aware of how you perceive or what yeah i think it's it's more of like managing how others perceive you so um if you get done with your work and you're headed home early for the day you're punching out an hour earlier i'm just uh, this hypothetical you're leaving work a little hour early and one of the bosses sees you sees you leave early well maybe their perception is that you're you you're lazy and you've quit early and you're going home and you don't put in the hours. The reality is, is that maybe you got all your work done. And you're just yeah. really, really efficient, but now their perception of you, regardless of anything else is because you left early is that you're lazy. And, and th- that's the kind of stuff I'm talking. And about. you have to get better at handling that. Yes. And figuring yeah. out ways to uh, make sure that everybody perceives you in a way that essentially how do you control the narrative of yourself? Yeah. That's, that's what it boils yeah. down to. So I'm reading a book now. It's called Into the Magic Shop. And it's called, a, or a subtitle, A Neurosurgeon's Quest to Discover the Mysteries of the Brain and the Secrets of the Heart. It's a fascinating book. And it so much relates to me in this inner chatter. Uh, it's about a real life, a real life neurosurgeon. But he, he, when he's a kid, he goes into this magic shop. And the, the mother of the owner, this guy owns it, the mother, like she, she sees something in this kid whose name is James Doty. And she said, I, I want to teach you real magic. And it's like kind of a spiritual book, like how to calm your mind, how to relax your body, how your mind and your body are connected. But he goes into the shop one day, they didn't know it. And they were arguing in the back. And the, the, the mom or the, the son said something like, you've got to tell him. And then the son said, I'm not going to tell him that'll like hurt his feelings, whatever. Fast forward, the kid says later on, like, why are you upset at me? I heard you talking. And the woman says, why do you think we're talking about you? And she showed him like, that's about you, right? We're not talking about you. We're talking about someone else. But why do you think we're talking about you? And the point was he walks around with this baggage in his mind thinking, well, obviously, maybe I did something wrong and they hate me and they're going to yell at me and I'm, he's mad at me about I'm that guy. I walk into a store. I'm like, no, I didn't see anything. You're like, why would I steal yeah. something? Why would they think I stole something? Like, I, but it re, it's a reflection of the voice in my head or the DJ, as they call in that book. That's funny. It's yeah. Another good point. Yeah. Uh, but my upbringing, central Pennsylvania, closer to Pittsburgh than Philadelphia. Um, uh, kind of a, a idyllic childhood. Mom, dad, three siblings big extended family, you know, what family vacations with all of us. There were nine grandkids. Um, 
pretty rural. I grew up wrestling, die hard from the time I was eight. Um, it was my life. It's what I was. I was a wrestler and that everything revolved around that. All my siblings, we got along, um, graduated academics and athletics. It was like pounded into us, you know, whatever you, you we'll, we'll provide for you. You guys do your best in the classroom on the sports field, whatever you do. Um, and then graduated from high school, got a scholarship to wrestle at Lock Haven university, which is a small D one school in central PA kind of near Penn state wrestled division one. Um, again, I've always battled with self-doubt, you know, the stuff we're talking about now I've always battled with it, but it always hindered me. Now I battle with it, but it's like, uh, whatever. And then just do the thing anyway. But I painted a picture of <clears throat> not enough or I'll get to the state championship, but I'll probably lose because I'm just me. Like, why the hell would I say that? But I don't know, but I did. And I did lose twice. So it like went to college, carried much of that the same way. And then I kind of hit, I mean, it was a nothing prompted it, but it just happened where it was a tournament, the first tournament of my fifth year of college, senior year of college. And uh, I just like equated to taking off a backpack of rocks. And I, I had a conversation, quick conversation with my dad and my brother. I said, guys, I, I just, I love this sport, but I've hated my college experience. It's my last year. I'm done. I'm just done. I'm going to have fun. And, and that's it. So let's go. And I had a great senior year, finishing the top 12 division one um, college wrestling from there, went home to my alma mater, Holidaysburg, got a job teaching Spanish, um, was really happy to not live that life anymore. Rocky was my hero from the time I was a kid. And uh, it felt good to not have to suck weight, to not have to train and all, and not miss holidays. And then I got really bored of it. And then Ultimately, that's led what led me to fighting. But I'll kind of hit pause right now and yeah. fill in the blanks. <laughs> so I want to back up just a little bit. As you were growing up, uh, you were big into into wrestling, and it was the fake stuff, right? Stuff without the ring and the steel chairs is what I'm hearing. Um, no, I was going to say to you, yeah, fake wrestling. So, I have to say that to my kids because they're hey, like, "What?" I'm like, "No, it's, it's, you got a different. It's real, right? but it's not real." Yeah, whatever. there's mine was more theatrical, and yours was more. <laughs> Matt pounding than anything I'll else. use yeah. that word <laughs> um, but so you're you're growing up and and obviously you're you're chasing this wrestling piece what did you you know when the other kids wanted to be firemen and policemen and all of those things like what did you want to be I don't think I thought of it I, I never had a I never had a I want to be a doctor or you know, doctor lawyer that's what every kid says not every kid whatever but I, I never really never really thought it until probably later in high school when I was like, I love wrestling. I'll be a teacher and coach. That was kind of as far as that went. I, I never really had an aspiration. Certainly the word entrepreneur or business owner, never in a zillion years crossed my mind. I didn't really think about it. And then it just, I kind of fell into that because I loved wrestling. I loved the lifestyle of summers off. And that's what led me there. Okay. So you end up leaving teaching at some point. So walk me through just a little bit of, um, cause that's, that's a really tough thing to do. You you've gone to college, you've gotten a degree, you're, you're into your career at this point. And at some point you have to pivot, right? You're, you're, you're getting to that point. What, what got you to that point? How did you start 
going through the decision-making process about leaving education? So probably about a year, year and a half into it, I started to like get restless. I was like wrestling talk. We would call it fat and happy, meaning like I wasn't working out. I was just eating junk. I was just, just whatever. I'm just not, not active, not dedicated, not disciplined. And uh, I started to get restless. I ran a marathon. I don't know if it was, oh, five, probably oh five, maybe oh six. That felt good for a minute. And then I was like, I miss it. And then I started missing like the physicality of wrestling. Got to a point where it was like really low, like the uh, coming back from New Year's, coming back from Christmas after New Year's in teaching is like a really low time that stretched from January to March, basically. And uh, I just like, I just didn't like, I didn't want to, I wanted to do something else. I had no idea what I was progressively feeling more and more unhappiness and needing to transition and pivot, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I don't know the exact timeline, but around that time in between classes, I saw a friend of mine, Frankie Edgar, who had wrestled at a school near me signed to the UFC and maybe it was an aha or light bulb moment, but I vividly remember sitting in my desk at my desk, seeing that article. And then I feel like sending him an email or something like that saying, wow, congratulations. And then my memory, which is probably not totally correct is going home and then being like, well, that's what I'll do. And then there was no question from that point. So being an insecure person, wavering, being indecisive, there was zero indecisiveness about that decision. It was like, uh, if, if, if an animal is pinned against the wall, they attack. Or if, if someone you love is being attacked, you attack the other person, right? Like a parental instinct or something, that was it. It was just boom, doing it. It, It's such a big deal to me to, to even make, to even get close to that decision, because at that point, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. At that point, at least I would have been identifying myself as, as Mike, the teacher, and then trying to figure out like, okay, I've got a degree in this. Now, what, what can I possibly do beyond? It's a scary thing. At the time, did you have a family or, or no? No. Okay. So that makes things a little bit easier. Um, but still, nevertheless, you put in all that work, all that sweat equity when it comes to getting your degree. And, and, and now you're in a spot where you, you're able to be like, okay, I'm unhappy doing this. I know that I've got more fuel in the tank to do something else. Um, And you were inspired to do something different. Talk to me about the the gap. So you're leaving, you're leaving your job and now you're going to chase this MMA thing. What's that look like? So a couple of things that to point out, this is just philosophy or my experience. I did it in a proper, respectful way. Meaning I took care of all the paperwork. I talked to all the right people. I didn't burn any bridges. I put my, my teaching cert on hold. I kind of got permission slash respectfully told my administrators. I did the same thing with my parents. Um, I had money saved. So it was, it was a risk, but it wasn't really a risk. I had, I had lived in a way that this made sense. Knew zero about fighting. That part was totally unknown. 
zero about it. There was nothing at that time in Pennsylvania, essentially that, I mean, there were a couple of small things, but wasn't even legal in PA. Um, and the, 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 I could have looked for every reason to not do it and could have found every reason to not do it, but it didn't even, it was like that part of my brain just didn't work. Like didn't work. It was not existent. I don't, maybe I was naive. Maybe I have no idea, but as insecure as I am, there was zero insecurity in that decision. And I, I, I mean, my wife just changed jobs. A lot of stress goes into a lot of reasons that make it difficult, et cetera. But she made the decision. And then she was like second guessing herself. I said, you made the decision. So you made the right choice. So no matter what insecurity, what doubt, what blah, 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 blah. When you put it all on a scale, taking the new job was the right choice. So rest easy. You made the right choice. I just knew this is where I'm going to go. I didn't consider not making it. Uh, I had the money saved. I had a, a, a kind of rough idea of, hey, if I don't make it the UFC by the time I'm 35, I'll do something else. Uh, at that time, I was probably making $34,000 teaching. I said, if I make 34 grand fighting, I'll, I'll like more than happy, you know? And, and that, that was it. And it became my sole goal, like nothing else, zero else matter. It was just that. So you you were living in Pennsylvania at the time and, and you said it was, it was not quite legal in Pennsylvania. So how do you, um, how do you seek that out? How do you become, how do you become an MMA fighter at that point? Yeah. So the same, like a couple minutes ago, I said, how reaching out to you from your Ted talk. Uh, I found a local gym in my area and randomly a guy named Eddie Alvarez came to do a seminar. Eddie Alvarez eventually became a UFC champ, one of the best fighters in the world. And, uh, I loved it. And I thought that guy's great. Hey, Eddie, my name's Charlie. Where do you train in Philadelphia? Could I come train at your gym? Yeah. So I said, what's your email address? Send him an email. Sure. Come train. Drove three and a half hours to Philadelphia, trained, formed a relationship with him. There were it's called Fight Factory, was his gym back then. Formed a relationship with some of those guys. I like, I was good enough at wrestling to add some value to their training. And that's how it got started. And then from there, I just maintained a relationship with him, found another gym in my area, connected with good people there, and was like, just piecing together, literally piecemealing together skill acquisition and understanding what the heck fighting was. And in the process of all of this, you also got your master's degree. Where, where did that fall in this whole timeline? So I taught Spanish from 2004 to 2007. And then I was in grad school from about 07, maybe through 09, it's got summer or whatever. I'm not sure exactly, but so, oh, let's say, oh, five, late oh five, oh six, it was getting my feet wet locally. I believe November of oh six, I had my first amateur fight through July of oh seven. I had five total amateur fights. And along this way, I'm learning what the word promotion means. I'm learning what amateurs and professional I'm learning local gyms, regional gyms. Uh, technically, I'm learning how to fight. 
and then just piecing it together while I was teaching. So I was fighting amateur while I was teaching. My first pro fight was summer 07. I resigned like that. I don't know what the exact day, but I resigned 07, started grad school fall of 07. So as I essentially got permission or got my parents on board with it, my mom said, okay, but on one condition, you, you go to, you would go back to school. So I got a GA like doing things also smart and effectively. You and I were talking about speaking business. Like you can pay 10 grand and get something that's pretty good, or you can pay one grand and get something that's 5% not as good, but still you're making off better. So when I left, I tried to do things smartly and economically. And so I got a GA, which paid for my graduate degree, got a little stipend, started fighting professionally, fell into a good tournament in the fall of 07, where I made probably 16 or 17 grand over the span of three months, which was total coincidence, uh, and just pieced it together bit by bit. Now, before that, you had gotten uh, the opportunity to be on a television show. It was called Pros versus Joes on Spike TV. Uh, I, I remember seeing the show because at, at the time, Monday Night Raw, I believe, had a Spike TV deal as well. So, like, pro wrestling was on there. Um, talk to me. That's I, I'm, We're going to get back to the, these pivoting pieces, but we can't do it without first talking a little bit about that show. You were very early, very, very early on in your MMA career at this point, and um, an opportunity came up. How did you stumble into the opportunity? Yeah. So that was actually before fighting. That was, uh, I, I filmed in December of 05 and it aired in May of 06 and pros versus Joe's was, I feel like, uh, the, the thing that made me be like, boom, I need the spotlight. Like I want the spotlight. And it also provided for me and I'll get to how that happened, but it also provided me confidence because like I said, I made the state finals twice. I lost both times. My college career, four out of the five years were definitely a disappointment. Peaked at the end. And then I kind of carried that into being on a national TV reality show and winning. And I was like, this is the biggest spotlight I've ever been on. And I won. Like, I can do this. I'm, I, I'm a, a winner. Like, I can win. And then the fighting thing combined with that became this new, like, later in life confidence again still dealing with the doubt but performing anyway where that happened and the way that i got onto pros versus joe's like the, i keep bringing this up i just reached out so i signed up for a wrestling coaching clinic they give a bunch of like junk mail i feel like because of giving my information i was mailed a piece of junk mail that said become a whatever on pros versus joe's spike tv's new reality show and i was like boom don't even know what the heck it is i'm doing it so i got on my hotmail account and i emailed this i wish i had it i probably i don't know if i'd have it somewhere in my archives this really like i'd probably throw up at it now but saying why i was so good and should be on the show and blah 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 and my buddy who helped me continues to help me to this day helped me film a uh you know people make those uh survivor audition tapes and stuff sure yeah you're, i made an audition demo. tape yeah i made an audition tape and uh just boom sent it was, was cast and went out there and i i won my episode won 20 grand this is while i was teaching and then was invited back and won a new car the second time and so we were uh 
the pros of the Joes for season one of pros versus Joes on Spike. What did your students think of this? They thought it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Like, first of all, I was fighting when I was teaching. So they were like, and this is not like today. Today is 2022. Every kid is on YouTube. They know Jake Paul. They know Conor McGregor. They know Mr. Beast, whatever. Not like that at all. But they knew I was fighting and they thought it was like cool or peculiar. It was nowhere. It was one tenth of as popular as it is now. Um, But prior to that, I I got on pros versus Joe's and it was just cool. I'm from a small town and to do something like that was really neat. And everyone was behind it and supported it. It was awesome. And they thought it was cool. And it was just a fun thing that got my gears turning to, man, maybe I can just do something. Yeah. That's, you were the teacher probably, okay, listen, we're not going to get into a fight in this guy's class because if we do, he's going to take us down. Like that, you had to be the one that of all classes to not get into a scuffle with your, you know, some other but kid. I, it was your class. I, they didn't do it. Yet. I'll tell you how things have changed since then. Kids today could care less if I, that I was a fighter and would be like, I don't care. I can kick your butt. And it's like the, the percent that, I don't know, man, like it has changed dramatically um, in the last 10 or 15 years. That's but crazy. yeah, that, that was a, obviously it, there was never anything serious along those sure, lines. Sure. Yeah. It was like a, a fun joke. Yeah. Yeah. So at 2000, so that was, it aired in 06. Now you're going through the fighting thing and correct me if I'm wrong, but at one point you were ranked seventh in the world. And was that, that's a UFC ranking, right? Yeah, it's a world ranking, but I was in the okay. UFC at that time. Yeah. Um, and that was 2011 when I peaked there. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. So 2011, when, what year did you get out of MMA altogether? My last fight was the end of 2014. Okay. So how many fights in all did you have? What was your, what was your overall record? 27 fights. I was 19 and 8. Wow. And I had 11 fights in the UFC. It's kind of the uh, the ideal spot. Like uh, it, it speaks to life in general. You you won more than you lost for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, you know it's whatever. I, yeah, I'd like to win more. Um, I fought some really tough guys, and I lost really tough guys. I had some great wins. I would like to do better, but when I look at, I'm like that's pretty cool for being like a guy who doesn't believe in yourself. Pretty cool, you know. So. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into it, but it gave me enough of a platform to transition into something else. When did you realize that you needed to get out? So when I, I got knocked out, so 27 fights, um, my losses, I think I have one or two decision losses, maybe a couple of submissions, a couple of TKOs, and I got knocked out cold one time. And that was 2014, the beginning of 2014. And when I got knocked out, it was like a, oh, wait, my brain. Huh. I never thought of this before. And then it, it shook me mentally and, 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 you know, I recovered, but then I had another fight in later that year and I got choked out. It's just a, I don't know, it's a bad fight. And then over the course of the next couple of months where I got cut from the UFC after that loss, and over the course of the next couple of months, so this is going in 2015, I, I was like, 
I wanted to fight still. And there was Bellator at that time. There were a couple organizations over in Europe that, or Japan that I was like, eh, maybe, maybe. But the pay was just terrible. It was like terrible. It was embarrassing to the point where I had the confidence to say, I will not fight for that, man. Like I am worth more than that. And I'm just not doing it. And so I, I stayed in limbo for a little while, seeing what kind of money I could get fighting. And that little while, seeing what money I, I could get fighting turned into like a year to where I kind of started this new thing speaking. And I was like, man, like I can make several grand for like less than a day. And I don't have to travel and get punched and be away and whatever, whatever. So I don't know if I had to put a number year, year and a half after that last fight, I had comfortably decided, man, I'm kind of heading in another direction. When you got cut from the UFC, um, how did you find out what, what, where was your head at? Like, take me back to that day. I legitimately think it was new year's day of 2015. Um, my fight was November, I don't know, 6th, 7th of 2014. I lost kind of knew I was getting cut, but it took a while for the paperwork. I get an email. I don't know if my manager forwarded it to me or whatever, but I was released from the UFC and I kind of knew it was coming. So I had a couple of months to just kind of sit on it and digest it. I, I deserved to be cut. I lost three. I got finished three times in a row in a year. I, I didn't deserve to be there. Um, and so I immediately just started looking forward. Obviously I felt bad, terrible, but all of that was done a couple months prior when I lost. Sure. I, it was like I had the healing process has started start trap training again, traveling to Philly, which is like almost two hours. And my, we had a baby and it's like, I'm not making money. What am I doing here? Um, but I started looking forward, like what deals are out there. And I would just, it was like, oh, it's terrible, 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 terrible. And then it was like, okay, well, I got to start making money. And it just be, became the reality of, okay, if you're going to fight, you still got to make money now. So what are we going to do now? And that's when, I kind of found this business of speaking and writing books and eventually podcasting. And, and I definitely want to talk about all that. So I think that, that that transition, so here you are, you're living this, this wild dream that not very many fighters get to get to live. I mean, if you even get to train as a fighter, there's not even a lot of gyms for people to have access to, to even train for something like that, let alone actually making it to the UFC, being on live television, all of those things. That's such a huge deal. And I, I've always appreciated how humble you are, but I don't want to underplay what a big deal this is because it's, it's huge. So now here you are in a position where you've put the teaching behind you, but you didn't burn those bridges. You can always go back to it but you're choosing not to, you're choosing a different route. Um, married, there's a baby. Talk to me just a little bit about now, as you're beginning to go through that transition of what is the future going to look like for me? How do I, how do I redream? What's this all going to look like? How do you land on the speaking piece? So uh, my last fight, a friend of mine, Scott Moore, who's the head coach at Lock Haven, we wrestled together coming up. I got out of where I lost that fight. I got cut from the UFC. I don't know what the actual order is, but around that time, I talked to a, a local friend from back home about a wrestling match that our two rivals were wrestling, my alma mater versus our next door over rival. 
And the idea of me speaking at that event was tossed out. I was like, okay, cool. Around that same time, a friend of mine said, Hey, I think it's someone I, you might connect with. He's getting into like speaking and writing books. I had started to write a book by that point. So right when I got released, I started writing a book. And the reason I started writing a book was because I was thinking, what am I going to do now? But also because I knew that there was at least local interest in my story that I could write a book for my local friends and family and community. And so then my buddy, Scott, was like, hey, I think there's a guy I can connect you with. He's into like this speaking and coaching thing. You guys might connect. This guy wrestled at UVA, stud, executive coaching now, et cetera. And so that introduction coupled with speaking at this event back home, coupled with reaching out, asking principals and teachers that I know, hey, do you have assembly speakers? What's that look like? Do you pay for it? How much do you pay? Um, all of those things were kind of happening and happened. Um, and that's what pointed me in the direction of speaker, author, podcasting. There, when you think about, I'm, I'm just, I, I get wrapped around the axle on this because it, it happened to me. I think about, um, so you were educated prior to going into the UFC. Mine was the opposite of that. I was a pro wrestler first, and then I got my bachelor's degree, my master's degree. I got those after, like way after. Um, there's a bit of a stigma that comes with being any kind of um, athlete specifically one as physical as any kind of combat sport. And I'm, I'm just going to say this publicly and the people that used to say this to me, they're going to hear this and it just, it is what it is. But um, my, my sister-in-law was married to a guy also named Mike and he was a, he was a lawyer. He was an attorney. So my in-laws would often refer to us as Mike, the lawyer and Mike, the wrestler. We talked a little bit about this before. I, what I heard was Mike, the lawyer, and Mike, the wrestler. Yeah. And it wasn't uncommon because what happens is, is people think because you're involved in such a, um, such a physical sport, such a physical position, that you're an idiot, right? <laughs> you, you've got nothing in between your ears and you have nothing else to offer. That's, that's a really big deal. So to be able to overcome that. So now here you are in a position where, yeah, you've got a degree. You've, you were a teacher and now you're reaching out to schools. Did you, did you lean on that a little bit? Did you, did you say, here's what my background looks like? Yes. And then I became a fighter. Here's, here's what I learned. Like what, how does that messaging sound for somebody yeah. that's been down your, down your path? I think I did. I did do that, meaning share my background, but I do it much more effectively now. Um, and the, the, the thing you're talking about, I, I, you know, we're talking about reflection of me, reflection of you, whatever, whatever. I never considered it. I don't, I never got to be in college. Um, I love books. I read a book a week, uh, whatever. I, I, I don't think I'm dumb at all. Like I know, like some of the things I'm a meet at, you're, I'm not right. So I don't even, it doesn't even acknowledge, I don't even acknowledge it. Cause I'm just not. And I know that I taught kids about confidence. The only reason I feel that way is because of the work I put in to getting those good grades and to, to studying and to reading. And so I know I'm not, so I don't have to worry about it at all. The things that I worry about are probably the things that I doubt in myself. And that's the only reason those other voices, I, I take that as doubt, you know, in myself as well, but I did make a decision. Hey, 
uh, fighting is not good in school. So that might be a hurdle that I have to overcome. And I accepted, I think pretty early on, if you don't, if that's a problem, then I'm not going to defend. Like, if you think it's a problem, I'm not going to beg you to not think it's a problem. I know it's not a problem. I know the message I bring is extremely powerful and effective to kids. Like, if you don't want to do business with me, I understand it. I don't agree and whatever, but I just, I'm not going to fight it. So the meathead thing or being dumb, I didn't really pay attention to. The barrier of fighting I'm aware of, and some schools just don't, none of these, they, they don't dig it. Um, but whatever, some will, some won't. So what someone's waiting. So just reach out to the one that will. I think it's, it's so important for anybody who's listening to this that ever has any kind of self-doubt that thinks that they're going to get pinned into a corner because of, of what somebody else painted them to be. I think that you and I are prime examples of, of being able to overcome that and, and show them that you're worth way more than somebody's telling you you're worth. Cause there are going to be usually, you know, and I think my wife gave me this advice at one point, she said, if they're not talking about you, regardless if it's positive or negative, if they're not talking about you, that's the bad thing, not the yeah. negative talk. It's when they stop talking about you and, and, and really keeping front of mind with people is just is so incredibly important. And with your outreach and your grit and determination and never saying no, uh, or, or never accepting no is really what you're doing. It's, it's something that not everybody thinks they can do, but they can. They just have all of this self-doubt that you've talked about. And another thing also like the, the, you know, if Mike, the lawyer is happy being Mike, the lawyer, great. Uh, but how many people are actually happy, right? Like the amount of people doing the right thing, quote, the right thing, how many are happy? Not a lot. I know a lot of people and I know a lot of people who are not happy. I have my own challenges in life, but I, I don't, so it's a weird thing, but I don't, ne I don't necessarily feel sad at the end of vacation, right? Because I know I'm going back to a thing I love to do. I remember when I was a kid, I used to feel so sad at the end of vacation, or I hear people say how sad, and I'm, yeah, well, I don't, I just really mean, it's awesome. I also know that I get to come home and do what I choose to do. And so at the risk of being thought of as a meathead or insecure or not having health insurance, I do have health insurance, but that's a major concern. Not having retirement, proper retirement. I do have retirement. I just have a different type of retirement. Okay. But I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, but it, yeah, there, there's a cost to picking that path. I do want to say this too, just in case you don't bring it up. Every transition that I've made is built on previous skills and a previous skill set. I'm not trying to be an NBA player. I'm not trying to be a famous guitarist. I'm like building Scott Adams, a creator of Dilbert, how to fail at almost everything and still win big is a great book. Mike, you should read and everyone else should read, but he talks about skill stacking. Like I'm just building. I wrestled. I took those skills and learned to fight. I took the skills I learned from fighting, being on stage, being in the center, winning and losing, being in the spotlight, being interviewed. Boom. Now I speak on a stage, speak on a stage, write a book, Ooh, write a book, build a or start a podcast. It's all built on each other. And it's a web that all works together. It's not connecting a bunch of random stuff together. So as kind of off the walls, it seems it all makes sense to me in my brain and how it's organized. Yeah. It makes sense to me as well. Do you think that that building piece, do you think that's a short-term or a long-term thing? A long-term, whatever I, it, I don't know if I'll do anything. Next. I don't really want to do anything next, but if I do, 
I've learned a lot about business. So maybe I start a separate business because I know things about business. Maybe I start a gym because I know a lot about wrestling and fighting and business. And so now I start a business that is a gym, whatever. I mean, I'll, I'll I, I mean, it's a long-term sure. idea. I, I just love the idea of, um, of that whole building piece. I, I told my wife, I think it was a year ago. So I got laid off from my long career a year ago. And um, I told her, I remember telling her, don't worry. We are in the building phase of our lives right now. So, you know, I'm, I just turned 40 and I'm not mm. close to like retirement age or anything like that, but it's, it's really trying to figure out like, what are those things you want to stack on top of each other in order to, to make a long-term gain. And, um, that's why I asked you if it was long-term or short-term, because in my mind, the building phase is like evergreen. It's just going to continue on yeah, forever and ever till I die, literally till I yeah, die. Yeah. Like a big um, thing with, with my wife taking this new job was, well, how's that going to affect our retirement? And I said, her, look, like, I don't know, but I'm not stopping making money until I'm dead. So yeah, if a normal person stops making money at 65, if I'm still living at 85, I'm going to still be making money. So that 20 years is worth something. Right. You're right. Um, and especially like I'm, I'm kind of in that mode where I'm looking far enough down the road where I'm trying to figure out if doing the speaking thing is what I want to do long-term. And you know what that means when you just brought it up, what that means is that people like you, people like me, we are not um, fortunate enough to be able to retire or maybe we're fortunate enough that we don't have to retire. Correct. You know, maybe that's really it because it's, it's really, and it's such a cliche. And I, I think you said, it, if, if find something you love and you never have to work a day in your life, yep. it's a cliche for a reason, but it's true. And I think that um, if, if anybody that's listening to this or watching this has the ability to do something that they love full time, you owe it to yourself and, and think about this as well. Like, what are you risking by not doing it? That's, that's the big piece. What, what are you risking by not allowing yourself the opportunity to chase that piece? Yeah. Uh, my oldest brother, uh, right before the pandemic hit. So fall of 2019 was diagnosed with a brain tumor, a very deadly brain tumor. Uh, and he's 47 and that in combination with the life I was already living has only reinforced this idea of like, Holy smokes, man. Like we are not here to hate what we're doing. Yeah. And there are many paths to happiness and some people need security. Uh, I like security, but there's aspects where I don't know. I'm, I'm okay with being up. There. I just said to my wife, I was like, look, worst case, we sell a car, we sell our house. <laughs> like we uh, stop getting Netflix. Like there's things that we can get rid of that we don't need if it comes to that. Whereas to her, it's very important to have that security. Um, for me, it's much less. I, I favor the, you know, it's, it, it's kind of basic, right? We're all kids. As many like famous, successful, rich, whatever people that I meet, I realize like, we're just kids. Like we're just kids. We're just trying to figure it out. Just trying to fit in. Just trying to like have friends. Like I'm just trying to feel good. I want to have fun. Like that's it. So we're kids. So I, I, what do you want when you're a kid? You just want to wake up and play and have fun and go to bed and be tired. Like that's as simple as it can be. And that's 
kind of the life I'm trying to build where I, I just, I enjoy what I do because I can have a brain tumor tomorrow and it sounds cliche. So your brother gets one. You're like, Holy shit, he might die. And then you're like, okay, I better live. Right. And I think the other, I, I love the idea as, as living as a novice as living through the living, living your life through the eyes of a kid. I think what separates the adults from the kids in this situation, especially someone like you, is that what you've done is you've continued to live like a kid. And also you've sprinkled in a little bit of making sure you're helping somebody along the way. And that's, that's the biggest differentiator. That, and, and that's a huge part. So it would be for athletes and or wrestlers, but you guys probably feel you inherently do it more than I did. Like p- pursuit of a, of, of a, an athlete, like it's super selfish. Like one of the biggest transitions that I had to get out of my head was it's not about me, right? It's kind of about me, but it's really about them. Like, what do I give them through me? Right. Like I'm Charlie. I did this. I did that. I did that. Okay. Bye. Like, no, the hook is me, right? I had to become okay with that because it can feel like you're arrogant, but no, that's the reality. The hook is me and my story, but that's not what they're paying me for. They're paying me for the lessons in that story that they can apply to their life. And that was a giant, uh, a giant thing to consider where if you go to my website, I need to show you me, but I need to show you what quote me or my story or my experience can do for you. Like, if, if you don't have a personal story, it's all about the customer. But if you have a personal story like you do, like I do, I'm, I believe my experience is you need to know about me because that's what helps to create the value for you. Yeah, I agree. When I, when I did my Ted talk and I worked with some of the actual Ted curators, I'll never forget this piece of advice. They told me um, your story is no longer for you. You've lived it already, and now it's yours to share. And you need to share it with everybody and, and share it without hesitation. And I always thought about that. I'm like, it's my, it's my story. Yes, but now it's out there for the world to, to see and to feel and interpret however they need to in order to work on their own personal story. Yeah. It's, it's such a big idea and something I hadn't thought about before. But So... Mark Merrow, who you probably know, Johnny B. Bad, Marvelous Mark yeah. Merrow, is yeah. a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. And he speaks in schools too. He's been doing it for 10 years. And Diamond Dallas Page helped him get that started. But I would like try to make it, you and I were talking about speaking programs, right? And paying money for things. And, and people can make it real complex. Um, Mark was like, I, I, would, I would hear, a, I would like take a course or read a book about blah, blah, blah. And then I would ask him these questions. And he would kind of like, whatever his literal words were, the picture was, I just share my story. That's it. <laughs> that, like, that's it. So share your story. Figure out the lessons in that story, but you don't need to think too far into it. Yeah. You have a story, share your story. There is value in this story. So believe in that. Don't feel like an a-hole for sharing your story. Like that is the nugget that teaches the lessons. Um, yeah, I feel like there was a, another thing I was going to say from there, but yeah, that, that's a, a huge part of it. Like it is you, but what value or what are you serving for those other people? 
I know we're, we're kind of on the back end of some time. What I, what I want to be able to do, though, I want to be able to just ask you the question about navigating change in, in itself. I, the idea of this podcast is to talk to as many people as I can and really understand how they found their most success through navigating through change. And I un- undoubtedly, we've heard some amazing things from you today. And, and thank you for, for sharing what you have. I really want to hear from you um, as we, as we look into the future, anybody who's listening to this and we're all going to have to come across, uh, we're going to come across a crossroads really, and, and have to make a decision one way or the other, left or right or forward, whatever it is, but it's, it means change. How do you, um, at its most primal, how do you handle change? How do you navigate through that whenever you're forced to make a, a big change in life? I think like to keep it simple and effective, uh, the answer to your question, I've identified a few habits that I do religiously that don't change no matter what. And that's exercise. That's intense exercising. It's eating well. And when I say eating well, I don't mean perfectly. I mean, like it's systematic. I know that 85% of the time I'm eating super well, 15% of the time, whatever, let's get after it. Right. Um, I drink water on a regular basis. I read books on a regular basis. I talk, talk to people. I don't hide my feelings. That's how I navigate change by doing those things. So when my brother was diagnosed at the same time, my mom was diagnosed with autoimmune disease. We thought they were both going to die. They were both in two sister hospitals in Pittsburgh. We'd go from one to the other, to the other, expecting death at any day. And the, those things I just said, never changed. I got up and worked out. I drank water. I ate well. I found a way to do red, do the things I need to do. So I think sticking to, to useful, healthy habits is a, a controllables, right? Those are controllables. So I think identifying some controllables and sticking to them religiously is, you know, a big thing that I do. I, I've seen some of your posts with your, um, well, first of all, you're working out and your things like that. I get tired looking at how much you work out. I, I cannot, one up. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I, I get exhausted watching you sweat. There's one on my Instagram story today. It'll be gone by the time this goes out, but it's, it is that my wife will say like, Ugh, you post it. <laughs> not like, Ooh, like, Ugh, you look so gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but it is what it is. It keeps me uh, kind of grounded. I will say from a, from an eating healthy perspective, I saw you post about some avocado toast. And now let me tell you something. My wife and I have folded avocado toast into our, into our routines. Uh, good. Uh, four or five days a week. It's because of, of your post. That's great, man. I just had some two avocado toast egg sandwiches today oh, for man. like a brunch. It's amazing. But that's it. And the uh, have you seen my uh, Greek yogurt parfait? I have. Yes. That's another yes. amazing one. So all this stuff is um, is certainly contributing to your success, and I I really can't thank you enough. Before we wrap this thing up. Um, where can people find you if they want to reach out, if they want to learn more about you, uh, where are you at with this, with the social medias and the dot coms? Yeah. So charliespaniard.com is my website at Charlie Spaniard on social media is my link across the board. My podcast for grownups professionals is called the Spaniard show. I do a one book summary a week and one interview. And then I have a podcast specifically for middle and high school students called Spaniard school. And a lot of the content that I talk about in schools, uh, social, emotional learning, anti-bullying, character, mental health, 
uh, that's what that podcast is about as well. That's called Spaniard School and uh, charliespaniard.com. I think that's it. You've got some videos on YouTube. Yep. Videos on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. Always makes me laugh, Mike. Maybe you hear this too. You should start a YouTube channel, dude. I have hundreds of videos on YouTube <laughs> and nobody watches them. <laughs> so I do actually. And that's Charlie Spaniard. And uh, you've got a couple of books as well. I do. So Driven is my first book. And that's a, a memoir talking about what you and I essentially talked about, but more in depth. And then the second one, I don't know if you read it or not, but I think you, you actually be perfect for you. Uh, but it's called Becoming the World's Toughest Lifelong Learner. It's just about building something after. It's, I think it's an awesome book. It hasn't got nearly as many reviews as the first one, but uh, it's just a good like business and personal development book. Hey, not only have I read it, I am in it. This I am guy, in it, ladies and gentlemen. This guy's loaded. He's in that book. <laughs> I have been quoted. I am in this man's book. Um, I mean, I've 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 lived the highest of dreams. You've made it, dude. So, I mean, that's it. That's it. Drop the mic and head out. <laughs> hey, thank you again for coming along with me on this ride. Your your story is very inspirational, and I wanted my audience to be able to understand um, that that this whole idea of being able to make adjustments, pivot quickly, all of that, you don't have to have been a professional wrestler to do it. You don't even necessarily have to have been a, uh, an MMA fighter. It's at its core. It's just people trying to figure life out. Yep. And I'm just trying to help people get the tools to be able to do that. Cause otherwise we don't necessarily know where to go get that kind of stuff. So I appreciate you sharing everything that you did today. My pleasure, man. I appreciate being here, Mike. Thank you very much. That was such a fun interview to do with him. I, Charlie, if you're listening, and I hope you are, I can't thank you enough for everything that you've done for me. It means a lot to have someone support you in a way that nobody else can, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, Charlie's really kind of putting his arm around me and showing me the world of motivational speaking and just really how to get my hands really, really dirty in this industry. And um, I am forever going to be grateful for that. If you would like to see the video version of the interview, the only place to find that is on my YouTube channel. And I, I only post um, th this entire podcast isn't available anywhere, but right here where you're listening to it. The interview portion, if you want to see the video, is on my YouTube channel. So that's the only place to find that. I want to thank you, for again, for coming along with me on this journey. It's, it's, I'm just so grateful. I'm kind of at a loss for words, which is a rare thing for me. If you can, subscribe to this podcast. I'm going to put out one episode a month. I know in the past I've said I'm going to try to put out a couple, but I'm, I was overreaching a little bit. I think doing two episodes a month is just a little much one for sure <laughs> one episode for sure um subscribe to the channel subscribe to the podcast um leave a five-star review i would definitely appreciate that and i think that's about it we got fourth of, fourth of july is just a few days away and i hope that you all have a happy and safe fourth of july you know where i'll be I'll be out in the backyard firing up the uh, my giant Moberg smoker's pit to put a nice brisket on. Um, body slam barbecue in full force, ladies and gentlemen. So if you get a chance to head over to my social medias, 
I promise, uh, at least on Instagram, I promise to post some body slam barbecue material just in honor of 4th of July. So you'll see brisket, fire, and smoke. What else do you need? That's all I've got, ladies and gentlemen. I will see you on episode three. Thank you very much. Take care.